WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington. More information at visitbloomington.com. We're going to take a trip right now. Like we always do about this time. This is a journey into sound. I'm Kyle Long, and you're listening to Cultural Manifesto. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with the bass player George Porter Jr. George is a founding member of the legendary New Orleans funk band The Meters. Rolling Stone magazine named George as one of the 50 greatest bass players of all time. George Porter Jr. will be performing at the Palladium on November 18th. The Meters were formed in the mid-1960s. The group featured George Porter Jr. on bass, Zig Modaliste on drums, Leo Nocentelli on guitar, and Art Neville on keys. The Meters rose to prominence as the house band for the New Orleans producer and songwriter Alan Toussaint. The Meters can be heard on many of Toussaint's best-known productions, including Lady Marmalade by LaBelle and Right Place, Wrong Time by Dr. John. Today, the Meters are best remembered for the classic instrumental recordings they released on the Josie Records label from 1969 to 1970. Uh, Stay tuned for an hour of music conversation with George Porter Jr. Let's get started with a classic track from the Meters 1970 album Stratton. This is Hand Clappin' Song. Clap your hands now, people. Clap now. 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 Clap your hands now, people.
That was The Meters with Hand Clap and Song. And The Meters bass player, George Porter Jr., is my guest this week. Let's join our conversation. George, thank you so much for uh, taking time to talk with me today. You're one of my all-time favorite musicians, so it's a huge honor to uh, have you on my program. Thanks for having me. You'll be playing here in central Indiana on Friday, November 18th, and I'm calling you from Indianapolis. We don't have a music scene quite like New Orleans here, but we do have a strong heritage of jazz and R&B music. And I wanted to ask you about one of our uh, biggest musical heroes, the jazz guitarist Wes Montgomery. You know, I heard an interview with you where you were saying that in the early days of the meters, you used to play some Wes Montgomery tunes. Is that right? Yeah, there was a few of them that we used to play. Um, Leo Nosentelli was a, a, was a fan, a, a definite fan of West Montgomery, and um, you know, and played. We played the, the band, um, you know, pre Meters before we became the, the took the name the Meters. Um, played several of um, West West Montgomery songs or songs that he had covered, you know. Mm. I'm sure it's been a long time. <laughs> Any names come to mind of which tunes you might have been playing? Um, man, I, I can hear the melody in my head, but I, I can't remember. <laughs> Breezy? No, Breezy was that other guy. That was George Benson, uh, yeah. George Benson, right. <laughs> um, he had Bumpin', yeah. though. That was like one of his groove-heavy tracks, more R&B. Bumpin', Bumpin' on Sunset. Might have been one of those tunes. Oh, Bumpin', Bumpin' on Sunset. You're right. Yeah. That was that was, that was was one of the songs. But he had done a cover song of, um, I'm trying to remember what song it was. I can't remember the name was of that. It, he did a cover of Wendy. Was that it? Wendy, Wendy, Wendy. We yeah. did, we did Wendy. Yeah. yeah. We did okay. Wendy. I've heard that the first guitar that you received was not a bass guitar, but a classical guitar. Is that right? Yes, it was. My, my mom bought me a, a, a classical um, a guitar. Uh, it was a hollow body. I don't remember the name of that instrument. I, 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 was eight, I was eight years old. I got it for my eighth birthday. 
the rule was that um, for order for me to keep the guitar, because it was like a lease thing, a lease thing from Warlands Music, in order for me to keep it, I had to take formal lessons. Um, so, you know, so I, I, for two, two and a half years, I, you know, I took classical guitar lessons, you know. I've also heard you say that you don't listen to music very much, but when you do, it's classical music. Does that go back to your early days studying classical music on the guitar? No, I don't think it really goes back. I think it has more to do with, I found classical music to be more, um, you know, settling, you know, um, you know, it, it helped calm me, it helped, you know, it just helps me settle in. And um, especially after I started, um, um, you know, started working and playing, you know, and, and you know, we would play a gig in the, in the early days and then listening to classical music, you know, kind of um, just changed the, um, my brain waves, you know, you know, my, allowed my body just to settle down. Let's pause and listen to another classic track from The Meters. This is the title track off their 1969 album, Look a Pie Pie. Thank you. 
That was The Meters with Look of Pie Pie. The Meters bass player, George Porter Jr., is my guest this week. Let's return to our conversation as George recalls the first time he played with The Meters keyboard player, Art Neville. When you were a kid growing up in New Orleans, was there a particular musician you admired or idolized or that inspired you to uh, get involved in, in making R&B music? I know you were a big Fats Domino fan. Were there any musicians that really uh, you looked up to as a kid? Well, as a kid, you know, there were, there were several people that played a, a, a role in my involvement Um the beginning was a, a gentleman named Benjamin Francis. His nickname was Papi. He was a guitar player, bass player, but I believe that he, um, you know, he said he got paid to play bass more than he got paid to play guitar, and it was pretty much the same way with me. Um, as much as much as I love playing guitar, no one ever hired me to play guitar. Well, when we're doing actually, there was a, there was a, a really true story that um, Art Neville, this other guitar, other player that I was getting ready to mention, his name was Herbert Wing. He was like an independent contractor. You know, people would call him to come out and play gigs. Well, this one gig, um, Art Neville contacted Herbert to, um, to come and play um, play guitar with him on a gig. But um, Herbert was already booked that night, so he sent. He told Art he was sending he sending me as, as a replacement, you know, as a sub. And um, Art said, "Okay, well, can he handle it?" And Herbert told him, "Say, yeah, man, he can play. No, no more, no problem." And um, Art picked me up at my mom's house and um, brought me to the, um, you know, to the gig. But during the course of the gig, Art wanted me to take solos, and I was a rhythm guitar player. I was not a soloist, mm. so I kept, you know, when he tell me to look at me to take a solo, I said, no, 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 <laughs> I don't solo. You know, so on on our way home, uh, um, after he was, he was dropping me off, and we got to my house, and he told me, "said Man, you're the worst guitar player I ever I ever heard, man." You know, <laughs> so it needless to say, he never he never called me back to play another gig as a, as, a, as a guitar player. And it was years later when he saw me as a bass player and said, "Oh, so that's the instrument you need to be playing on," you know. And but I but I want a gig, and he offered me the gig. So that experience really pushed you into uh, <laughs> embracing the bass, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 George Porter Jr. and the Meters rose to prominence as the house band for the New Orleans producer and songwriter Alan Toussaint. And up next, we'll listen to a 1970 Alan Toussaint production featuring The Meters. This is Lee Dorsey with Yes We Can. Now is the time for all good men to 
get together with one another. Find out their problems and find out their quarrels and try to live as brothers. And try to find peace within without stepping on one another. And do respect other women of the world. Just remember we all had mothers. Make this land a better land and a world in a world we live. And help each man be a better man with the kindness that you give. I know we can make it. I know darn well we can work it out. That was Lee Dorsey in The Meters with Yes We Can. The Meters bass player, George Porter Jr., is my guest this week. Yes We Can was written and produced by Alan Toussaint. I asked George about The Meters' work with Toussaint. And George, you know, The Meters came together in what year would you say, 67, 68? Well, I believe the um, band got its name in probably late 67. But we had played, had been playing together under several different names. One was this Art Neville Band. One was um, the Neville the Neville Sound Band. Your career, or the Meters' career as recording artists, started out with session work. You were backing up artists that were recording for the producer and songwriter Alan Toussaint, and I think that's probably the first time I heard the Meters was on uh, "Yes We Can" by Lee Dorsey. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I love that record. You know, you were a young man at that time. Was that exciting for you, going into the studio, cutting records with some of these R and B stars from New Orleans, or were you interested in doing your own thing? And this was just some side work. At that point, I was a, I was a, a sponge. I was intaking as much of, of the knowledge of um, performing and playing music as you know as I could. Um, 
as well as recording because I, you know, I spent a lot of time in the control room with Cosmo, you know, learning how, how to get stuff onto tape. And is it true that the meters kind of started out recording their own music just during downtime between uh, sessions with artists like Lee Dorsey? This was just something you were doing during the downtime uh, of these recording dates. Is that true? Yeah, pretty much it was, it was, it would happen. It, it, it happened after a Lee Dorsey session. Um, Marshall Seahorn, Alan's partner, um, came in and told us, you know, say, hey, why don't y'all just lay down a couple of tracks, you know? And, you know, we, we had nothing prepared, you know, for the most part. Uh, we had been playing, playing around with the um, sophisticated sissy, uh, you know, as a, as a, as a, a break song mm. at the Ivanhoe. So we recorded that song. Uh, I believe we caught, recorded Seahorn's um, uh, form. And then Leo came up with the lick for uh, Sissy Strut. And um, here come the meter man. And we recorded those four tracks um, one evening after Lee Dorsey, um, after Lee Dorsey session. You mentioned Sissy Strut and Sophisticated Sissy, which were two of your early hits and two of the group's biggest hits. You know, I grew up in the 90s, and when I first heard those songs, I thought the titles were really peculiar. And I learned later that this was a dance in New Orleans and in the South at the time, right? The Sissy, is that correct? That's correct, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. is, was that something that, a dance that people were coming out doing while you guys were playing? What inspired you to kind of uh, name these songs well, after no, the, stands. Uh, the, the The titles of those songs, yeah. we the band had no input on. Uh, on the, you know, when we left out of the studio that day, it was just track one, track two, mm -hmm. you know, track three and track four. You know, and that was that was it. We the band didn't even have a name at the time. You mm -hmm. know, other than you know, uh, other, at that time we were um, we were called. Um, I think we were being called Art Neville and the Boys. Art Neville and the Neville Sound Band was a name that Art had in had had in his heart, and one was one of the names that he put in into the hat when uh, when Marshall asked us to put names into the hat to to pick a name for the band because um, they had um, he got bites on on sophisticated sissy and I believe Seahorn form Josie Records picked those tracks up, so he he said we need to we need to give the band a name. The four of us put names in the hat, and uh, Alan put a name in the hat. Well, needless to say, we never saw Alan's name go in the hat, mm. uh, <laughs> but it was the one that came out of the hat, and it was it was the name, the Meters. You know. Yeah. Did that appeal to you at the time? It, it was a, it was a working name, you know. I mean, the idea was about we were, we were told that that uh, Alan wanted us to pick a name that had to do with time, mm. because you know the band had real really great um timing and then we played off of each other really well we you know we listened to each other because we have been been, have been playing together for almost pretty much like four nights a week for a long time and then we went to Bourbon street we was down there six nights a week and we would be leaving out of there you know at two three o'clock in the morning so sometimes we played five six sets a night you know so um it was um you know we had put in a lot of hours just playing together so we were, you know, we were really pretty tight. So Alan's idea was for, you know, pick a name that wouldn't have anything to do with timing or, you know, and, and the meters. My, the name that I put in um, was, um, was the metrics. Mm. 
and um, you know, just speaking of the metric um, system. Yeah. Um, it was it was that, but the Alan Alan's Alan's name came out to meet us. <laughs> yeah. I'm Kyle Long, and you're listening to Cultural Manifesto. My guest this week is the bassist, George Porter Jr. He'll be performing at the Palladium on November 18th. Let's listen to another classic track George recorded and co-wrote with the Meters. From 1969, this is Sissy Strutt. Uh, yeah! I'm Kyle Long, 
and you're listening to Cultural Manifesto. My guest this week is the bassist, George Porter Jr. George is a founding member of the legendary New Orleans funk band, The Meters. George and his band, The Renan Partners, will be performing at the Palladium on November 18th. Dumpster Funk and John Cleary will also be on the bill. Go to thecenterpresents.org for more information. Let's hear another classic Alan Toussaint production featuring George Porter Jr. on bass. From 1974, this is La Belle with Lady Marmalade. That was La Belle with Lady Marmalade. That track featured my guest this week, George Porter Jr. on bass. Let's return to our conversation as we discuss George's role in the evolution of funk music. 
you know, the record you were making had an extraordinary sound. It was a very different sound for the time. And the meters are often credited for being pioneers of funk music. In your eyes, what do you see as the meter's role in the creation and development of funk music? I don't know. That's like a double-edged blade. Um, the truth of the matter is, back then, you know, musicians rarely had anything to do or, or, or had input into what, how they sounds, you know, the music sounded. You know, we, we played our instrument in the studio. It went into another room, and in this other room, this engineer person would, you know, EQ your sound, EQ everything, and change it. And, you know, to make it come out, these little set of speakers that he was listening to it to, mm. you know. So, I mean, how the music came out on the end result, you know, was, you know, had very little to do with what we had to do, you know. And we just played music. We played the sounds and the audio part of it was done by another person, you know, that, that that's fifth person in the band to some degree. The fact that our original tracks were all considered R&B music, uh, we were in the R&B charts and stuff like that. Funk music was not a thought at that point in time. Um, it probably wasn't until I'm not sure uh, when when actually that that term funk music came about. Um, maybe the 70s, late seventies or early eighties. Um, well. When we, you know, no, I think I heard it when we did the Rolling Stones tour. I believe one of the articles that one of the newspaper guys had wrote that the the Rolling Stones had a, a funk band playing um, on tour with them. So maybe it might have been '75 that you know the concept of funk music, you know, came to play. But I never, you know, I never was a big fan of the the of the, the name and the music because you know it, it always it also kept certain musicians, certain groups of music and certain musicians away from certain audiences because of the title of the genre. bass playing, I think the drumming of Zig Modaliste is one of the most striking elements of the meter sound. When I first heard those records, it just, it sounded very unusual to me. You know, he wasn't just playing a straight kind of 4-4 four, four, backbeat. How did you react to his playing? Did you think it was a little different, a little unusual? How did it strike you? Oh, well, no, it definitely struck me as, as, as uh, um, unique. And, and it wasn't until um, I was, wasn't until Alan Toussaint um, made me aware of staying out of the way of the backbeat and simplifying my bass lines to some degree. Because earlier in the earlier years, I was a very busy player. And, um, and, and Alan, you know, kind of brought it to uh, my attention. He used to always say, it's not what you play, it's what you don't play that's going to make this groove really good, you know. 
when I started paying more attention to to Zig's backbeat and staying away from it and not putting a note on that backbeat, that opened up my mind and my you know my my awareness of, of, of what Zig was actually doing and saying. You know, sometimes it was difficult because he would do things that was like <laughs> leave you like whoa, yeah. <laughs> what I do now. <laughs> From the Meter's 1970 album Stratton, this is Chicken Strut. That was The Meters with Chicken Strut. Let's return to my conversation with The Meters bass player, George Porter Jr., as we discuss the group's mid-1970s tour with the Rolling Stones. And George, you mentioned the Rolling Stones, and The Meters have had a lot of very prominent fans in the music industry, including the Rolling Stones, who you toured with during the mid-1970s. I think you went on a European tour and an American tour. But this didn't go so great for the group, from what I've heard, right? The audiences were not totally receptive to uh, your sound. Is that right? The 75 U.S. tour, it was, it was kind of strange. I, 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 you know, I just never thought that uh, um, the young uh, rock and roll community in 1975 was ready for what we were doing. Not very receptive to what we were doing. Uh, I didn't think the American, the U.S. tour did, did much to help the band. The European tour, on the other hand, the meters had um, had a pretty decent 
fan base or music fan following in the European community. I believe that's the reason why the Stones took us to Europe because I mean they were fans of us, you know, of this, of this band, and and um, they took us. They you know they brought us to Europe because I think they knew that Europe Europe was you know would be happy to see us opening the show for them. The Paris there was the only that one the opening night in in France. We we went out on stage and and you know people were booing at us and throwing the stage, or throwing stuff at the stage, <laughs> and um, you know we just kind of left the stage and you know kind of like selfish you know almost like wow this is strange you know because there were dates before the France date but when we got to France it was like you know that was like whoa that was an eye opener and. Um, and the Jagger and, um, and 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 Keith went back out on stage with us. Said, "Man, come on back out here. Man. Let's go back out here." And they went out on stage. Uh, Jagger spoke to him, and um, you know, and I was told I didn't know what he because he was speaking in French. I, you know, I don't know exactly what he said, but I was told later that he told that he told the audience, "If y'all listen to these guys, you're gonna like them. You know, you know, y'all, sh- you know, y'all should just listen." And we st- he stayed out on stage and we sang we uh, we was kind of playing cowbells and singing cop bayou on the bayou and you know and you know the audience kind of gave in and, li- and listened to us and the next two nights man we had no trouble man it, it went it was just like in fact the rest of the, the European tour was like you know very successful. From 1975, this is The Meters with Fire on the Bayou. we 
That was The Meters with Fire on the Bayou. Let's return to my conversation with The Meters bass player, George Porter Jr. And George, it's been over 50 years since The Meters cut their first records, and this music is still vital, it's still important, and you continue to get recognition for your contributions to uh, American music. In 2020, Rolling Stone magazine listed you as one of the 50 greatest bass players of all time. In 2019, the Meters received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Grammys. Does it surprise you that the music has been so enduring? And do you have a sense of, of why that is? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's it's like it's it's like one of the most humbling things that could be said. I mean, you know, is that that um you know here we are uh, still still um being asked. You know, they've got kids that still ask me to play sissy strut. I mean, on most nights I'm playing to the age group I played to 55 years ago. Mm. <laughs> it's like. Is like it's like funny, you know. I mean, you know, I'm playing to grandchildren, you know, of <laughs> some of the parents that we used to go see us play, you know. Um, and and uh, in fact, the other night at a at a gig, um, uh, I met a, a young lady who who told me that um, her mother and father met at one of the meters gigs, mm. and got married, and they always played the meters meters music around the house. And when um, when I became a solo artist, they were she, they were she was in, informed that I was one of the members of the Meters. And you know, when she came to Tulane, came to school here at Tulane, she um, you know um, she had to look into seeing George Porter Jr. It was it was like amazing. It was like very humbling. Yeah, the music is unquestionably timeless and has continued to attract new audiences. In one way, the Meters' music has been passed on to new generations is through rap music. Your music has been sampled hundreds of times. I think it's safe to say the Meters are probably one of the most sampled uh, artists of all time. How does sampling strike you as an art form, and, and what do you make of uh, the use of your music in rap? For me, that's kind of like a... a, 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 a... It was like a bloody nose to some degree mm. because when the sampling thing began and started and the guys was making tons and tons of money through that, you know, no one ever paid us. We were never credited as the band that this music, that the music that we're using to, to rap over. To me, it's, it leaves a kind of bad taste in my mouth. Mm. Although I know there were a few, a few of the groups that was, um, that did 
samplers have done, you know, have done licenses. And I believe today, if anybody's doing a sampling night, it's almost like they kind of go and get the, get the sync license to do it because um, I guess a few years ago, you know, um, some of the sampling things got caught really bad, you know, big hits got hit. And then um, the, um, the original musicians uh, or music publishers went after, you know, and call, it cost them more money to put that music out and not license it as it, then it would have cost them to go and license it. So now, you know, now they're going out and they're licensing, the, the, um, they're getting the sync license to do it. It was a, a big thing because there was the artists like Queen Latifah and, and Heavy D and some of those guys, you know, they, they, they never even credited us. And once we, even when we went after them, you know, it, it was like the rap community protected themselves pretty good against, uh, against using, using, uh, um, you know, unlicensed music and making money with it and keeping it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, so the unethical sort of business practices have prevented you from even kind of experiencing this work for whatever artistic merit it has. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't listen to it. I mean, my granddaughter and her and her. And her, and her and her husband, they both, they live next door to me, and I, I, hear, I hear them over there working, not every day, but every other day, so I can, I can hear them working, I usually, when they, when they start working over there, I, I turn my television up real loud. Yeah, okay. <laughs> George, you have an amazing new album out titled Crying for Hope, and I'm going to play the title track off this album, which has some very powerful lyrics. Can you tell us what, you know, this song is all about? Well, you know, the, the, the music was inspired by what I'm hearing on the radio, um, what I'm hearing on the television. I kind of like a couple of years ago, I just kind of stopped looking at regular television because I just... Didn't want to hear, um, you know, about about presidential races. I didn't want to hear about about you know young black men getting shot to death on the streets and, and stuff. I just got sick of hearing that, you know. And that kind of you know that that the pain of some of that um, of, of of you know of just the knowledge that you know that there's still there's still people here on this planet uh, in this city that um you know that love me as a musician but don't want me in the house you know mm. won't let me marry their daughter or something like that you know but you know it's uh that, that's sad man you know there's you know stuff that you know say that things that you know was martin luther king died well over 50 years ago and that's that fight still it still exists i mean it's that you know that 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 void in our lives is, is still very very present today you know I'm Kyle Long, and you're listening to Cultural Manifesto. My guest this week is the bass player, George Porter Jr. Let's pause and listen to the title track of George's 
2021 album, Crying for Hope. That was George Porter Jr. and Renan Partners with Crying for Hope. Let's return to my conversation with George Porter Jr. I want to remind our listeners that you're going to be performing here in central Indiana on Friday, November 18th at the Palladium. Any final thoughts uh, you want to leave our listeners here today? Well, you know, I'm thinking that, um, that you know, I think the, the, the that I, I'm, I'm looking very much forward to, to 
to being up there. Because um, I, I don't I don't remember um, playing a lot of gigs in and around Indianapolis. So um, yeah. Indiana. So you know, it says yeah, it's gonna be nice. You know, and we're gonna we're gonna come up and be funky. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> And George, I can't thank you enough for taking time to do this today. Like I said, you and Zig Modaliste are two of my all-time favorite musicians. So it's a thrill and an honor to have you on the program. So thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for having me. And y'all have a wonderful, wonderful time. I'll see you on the 18th. That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you to my guest, George Porter Jr., a founding member of the legendary New Orleans funk band, The Meters. I'm Kyle Long, and you've been listening to Cultural Manifesto.